It is Canuck Central back in the Kintec studio. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shaw. Game day, Canucks and Chicago Blackhawks coming up. Puck drop. About two hours from now, we'll have the pregame firing up in an hour's time. But we welcome in our next guest to the show. We go to the Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning Hotline and welcome Shana Goldman uh, to Canuck Central of The Athletic. Thanks for the Shana. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's been quite the season for the Vancouver Canucks, as uh, as we know. And, uh, you know, Canucks fans aren't the ones to gloat, but uh, it is surprising to still see the Canucks at the top of the standings. And one of the things that's been really interesting to follow with Vancouver for me and for us is how they've evolved as the season's gone along, right? You know, they were the PDO merchants early on, and it seems like as the season's gone on, they've continued to get better in all areas of the game. Maybe, you know, these last couple, not as much, but the process has certainly started to, to back up some of their results. Yeah, and you would expect it to be the case if they're going to stand at the top of the standings, right? You can't you can't get by on luck forever, um, but you can turn luck into extended stretches of good play. And, you know, obviously they still have really good goaltending. Obviously they have really good finishing talent. And they just added a player who should rebound from his early season struggles to bring that as well. But it does feel like they're getting more complete. And it does feel like they may be different from years past and management's past, know what the issues are and how to fix them. And I think we saw that over the summer in free agency and with the Lindholm acquisition as well. So all of that to me is really encouraging because it's not just riding the wave and hoping for the best, right? Well, exactly. And I think the improvements we're seeing from this team as the season goes on, and, you know, not just by the numbers, but we see it, you know, every day when we watch them play, it gives you real encouragement that what we've seen is not really a mirage. And for all the regression that will happen and in some ways is happening in a smaller scale, how much of that can get offset if you keep improving as a team? Yeah, it definitely can get offset because if you're doing something different to promote good habits, you expect the results to come. And it doesn't always, right? We've seen it how many times with teams that they might have all of the shots and scoring chances in the world, but they don't have the finish or they don't have the saves. You can look at the Devils. They haven't had the saves at all times. You can look at the Hurricanes. They haven't had the finishing at all times. Like, it doesn't always all come together at once. There's so many factors at play, and that's something we always have to keep in mind. And that's why this is just one part of the puzzle versus the entire thing. But if you can bring those good habits and apply them consistently and do it against top competition and play a full 60 minutes and do every little cliche that there is as well. Like you are setting yourself up for success and that's all you can really ask for at a certain point. Like do you need more oomph than just having the scoring chances and more shots than maybe they did in the beginning of the year? Of course, but you know, it's, it's a key part of this, this entire process for them. And uh, star players certainly help, right? Uh, they've got three of the top ten scorers in the league still to this point in the year. And, and for as good as uh, JT Miller and, and Elias Patterson have been, uh, it's pretty obvious who the Canucks MVP is, and it's Quinn Hughes, who's uh, right there for the Norris Trophy, going to battle it out with Kale McCarr, I'm sure, as, uh, as the season goes along here. But what have you made of, of the strides Quinn Hughes has taken this year to, you know, even as good as he has been through the early part of his career at 24 years old, he's, he's having a breakout season to where, you know, we're considering him being alongside Kale McCarr as the best defenseman in the league. Yeah, well, you're right. Star power definitely helps. That's something that can change a game in a second, and they have it, right? Um, for Quinn Hughes, I think I think part of it helps that, like, we've evolved in how we think about defense in recent years and how we think about young defenders. You know, oh, they must have these defensive gaps in these games, and we must have these preconceived notions about them. And I like that we're starting to break 
break away from that. Mm-hmm. And I think that helps in his case because the way he defends is so unique with his skating, with his offensive ability, with his, you know, ability to drive play up the ice. And also by doing things that you might not necessarily pick up on a score sheet or, or notice because you're stopping something from happening in the first place. It might just be a matter of having puck possession and ex- extending zone time. Like, that's good defense, too. And he's doing every little bit of that. But we're just seeing him consistently drive play and, and do it across a full season, that he's, you know, getting better as the year goes on which I think is impressive because he started out so hot and there, ha- there were a couple dips at times, but I think, you know, you can safely say he continues to trend in the right direction, um, that it's something that he can go up against top competition more comfortably. He can be that all situation threat comfortably and just be a bonafide number one defenseman. If we had any questions about his game, which, you know, a lot of us did going into the year, we all knew we had the potential, but would he get there and would he get there consistently? I think he's just answered it with flying colors. I think we all agree, Jenna. I think it's universally agreed upon that Kill McCarr is the most talented, impactful defenseman in the National Hockey League. But given how far Quinn has come along, how, how big or how small do you think that gap now is between them? I think it's smaller than it was before, for sure. Because it was Kill McCarr and everybody else. And then the everybody else, you know, it was the Adam Foxes of the world, the Charlie McAvoys, and, you're ta- and, and then the Quinn Hughes. And you're talking about totally different players, right? Stylistically in every mm-hmm. which way. Um, and you're seeing dips from some of those high-end veteran defensemen. Like, you know, Victor Hedman, last year was struggling. This year is just weighted down by his workload. And we're not seeing that same MVP caliber play from Roman Yossi. And Eric Carlson hasn't repeated his Norris season, even though he's had some really good, you know, some really good stretches in Pittsburgh minus their dysfunctional power play. Um, but you're seeing the young defensemen rise to the top of the league. And that includes players like, players like Noah Dobson, too, who had some rough stretches while the entire team was struggling before they made the coaching change. And, you know, they have a lot of kinks to work out. But we're seeing that gap, I think, just shrink between them. You know, do, do I think Kale McCarr, because it's more than just this season, is above the rest? Yes. But do I think that we're going to have a good conversation? Like, I know when we do player tiers, this will be the conversation is, where's Quinn Hughes fit? You know, and where does he line up to the Adam Foxes and the Charlie McAvoy's of the world? It's going to be a lot closer. And it's a great thing for the players, and it's a great thing for all of us because we're just watching quality hockey from from these two-way forces. Quinn Hughes is, uh, you know, he's, he's had a lot of success with whoever he's played alongside as, as a defense partner, but it can't be a coincidence that, you know, the, this breakout season is happening while he's played with – you know, his best, at least most talented partner ever in, in, in Philip Peronic. You know, good players elevate each other on the ice, and it feels like that's happened now that the Canucks finally found somebody to pair with Quinn Hughes long-term. Yeah, no doubt. Like, you know, we could look at some of the best defensemen in the league and say, well, why, why can't they carry their own pair, and it shouldn't matter who they play next to. And, like, that's true. Look at Victor Hedman. He played with John Ruda, who, no offense, isn't some all-star defenseman. And he still had these, like, crazy good seasons. Sure, that can happen. But especially for those early years, you know, when Hughes establishes himself as the true number one we all expected him to become, it's one thing. But to do that in the years where you want to see him get to that level, it's a big difference that, you know, you don't want to see him dragging a partner along or weighed down by them or, you know, maybe put too much in that offensive role while the other defender is expected to be the defensive partner. It's it just limited him in so many ways. So the fact that he is someone who's capable is is a huge difference. And obviously, Phil Baronek's game 
looks so good because he's playing alongside someone as good as Quinn Hughes. It's one of the best partners he's had as well. But there's a difference, I think, between just being a passenger on a line or a defense pair and actually complementing that high-end talent. And that is a really important skill to have. Mm -hmm. Like, you can't, in my opinion, be a true top-pair defenseman. Like, someone like Taves in Colorado complements Cal McCarr. Is he better with him? Of course. Why wouldn't he be? But on his own right, he's a very good player. And I think we're seeing the same thing here. It's someone who's very good on their own that is just helping someone like Quinn Hughes reach his potential and, and keeping up with him, which hasn't been the case in years past. Now, one of the interesting interesting things too that we're seeing with the league is you know younger defensemen coming in right now. Like, is is there a guy you're keeping an eye on, whether it's Maurice Sider or Brock Faber, even like, that that maybe can push themselves into this conversation? And in a couple of years, where we talk about them being maybe a top five, top six defenseman in the league, I would say probably Sider. I think he has such a high ceiling, and it's tough to to see it right now. And I know everybody's waiting to see him progress on the score sheet because that's the easiest way to know if someone's doing well, right? And you know, for defensemen, we have to think about it a little bit differently still in today's game as offensive as things have gotten. But with Sider, he has historically tough usage right now. And part of the reason is because nobody else could handle that in Detroit. Like, it has to fall on somebody, so it's going to fall on him. And that's the best way to balance the workload. So I think it's it's so much harder to see that. But that potential is there. And the fact that he isn't completely drowning in those minutes is a good thing. But the way his game is progressing and the results we're seeing, it's so influenced by that role and what he's being instructed to do in it. I think there are other young defensemen coming up there too. Uh, Brock Faber is outstanding, totally, completely outstanding. Um, and I could see us talking about him the way we talk about Charlie McAvoy in a couple of years. And then a tier below those two would be like the Alex Vlasics of the world who's showing top four potential. I don't know if I'm seeing number one elite defenseman from him, but I think I'm seeing clear cut top four potential from him so far, despite his surroundings. We have Shannon Goldman here on uh, on Canucks Central. So the Canucks are the first team to go out and, and make the big splash in in the trade uh, deadline sweepstakes, getting Elias Lindholm. It, uh, it hasn't worked out amazingly just yet. It's quite clearly something that is a work in progress. When it comes to, to big trade deadline acquisitions, uh, do you feel like they ever really have the impact you hope they will when the trade is made? No. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, it certainly feels that so. way, right? Yeah, like you can look back and say, look, Vegas getting Mark Stone was the greatest thing to ever happen to them because that is a selfie caliber forward they got in the prime of his career. And that's true, but they got him for more than one year. And it's interesting because we don't always see those instant extensions. Like we more often than not, we don't actually. And, you know, like that immediate impact can be really hard to find otherwise. Um, I think that we see it as the year progresses. Like we see guys like Blake Coleman, step into Tampa and do amazing things. And we've seen guys like Archery Luckin and do the same thing in Colorado, but we don't always see that top caliber player get moved. So it's, it's a different scale, right? That we should be judging it on for someone stepping into a third line role or a second pair role versus that, you know, top six or top four on defense. Like, there's just a difference. You're being exposed to different things. You aren't expected to be as much of a game breaker. And it's not that your role is, easier because it's based on the caliber of your play most likely but it's just different um but teams can often overspend on deadline deals and the market can dictate that so we already saw that happen with sean monahan 
and we've seen it in years past, like think of the Ben Chirot trade and how that set the market wrong for everybody, that no matter how a player performs, we're subconsciously or consciously going to be grading it against what that team spent for them, mm-hmm. right, wrong, or sideways. Like you can't blame a player for what a general manager does, but it, it you know, it's only natural for it. So it, it's tough to look at a deal and go, that is a home run from day one and it's going to stay home run the entire time. And Oh my God, like best deadline deal ever. Like it's just, they're, they're so rare. They really are. And I mean, you know, as far as the, the, the trade market goes this year, we know it's, it's very thin and maybe the, the most exciting player on it may not even be on it. And that's Jake Gensel. Let's just assume for a moment that for whatever reason, the Penguins aren't going to be a buyer. They're going to look to be a seller and he's available. Where would be the most fun destination for Jake Gensel, you think? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, like, I feel like it has to be to a team that is already kind of loaded up. Like, I don't want to see him be, I don't want to see him be like the, maybe he can help this middling team get to round two. Like, I want it that it's like, this is going to set up a Clash of the Titans matchup and let's see him thrive. You know, like a Dallas Stars would intrigue me or even someone like, I feel like it's unfair to say Colorado, but even they could be cool. Like, (laughs) I I think those teams would be interesting. I think Canucks fans would be scared to see him on Edmonton. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because he's everything that they, like, they don't need him, but he's everything that they could use to avoid that we're over-relying on Leandre Seidel and Connor McDavid trope that they always fall into. But it's so interesting. Like, he, he, to me, is like the wild card of the deadline. Because even if Pittsburgh's out of it, they're better suited keeping him unless they know he's walking as a free agent. He's someone that can help your team now and in the future. If you're trading for him, like you shouldn't view him as a rental and you shouldn't just view him as a product of Sidney Crosby. You should view him as just a total game changer at five on five with elite finishing talent. You look at what he's doing this year, despite Pittsburgh's power play and it's hard not to be impressed. So it it would be really interesting if, if the team, I would assume not an Eastern conference team, like it would be one of the times I generally don't agree with teams saying we can't trade in conference unless they're going to get that much bigger of a return from one of their rivals. But like Pittsburgh has playoff aspirations in the next couple of years with Crosby that you really can't keep them in the division. You can't do anything to hurt yourself there. So I think that would add even more intrigue to it. Shannon Goldman, our guest. You know, uh, one, one thing we've we've talked a lot about is who who scares you in the West if you're if you're the Vancouver Canucks and. You know, Vegas, if they get healthy, they're still um, probably the favorite for me. Obviously, Colorado with their high end and Edmonton can be really good, too. But it just it doesn't feel like there is that huge separation this year from the the top cup contenders to that second and, and third tier level of contender as there has been in years past. Yeah, I agree. And I think. Part of it's because like we're seeing these huge trail like trail offs from teams. And, like Vegas had gone through it a little bit because injuries, which sure, totally understandable considering who they're missing. And the Kings defensive collapse. Um, and then you have the Oilers who yes, they're surging up the standings, but we, we still don't forget what they did to start the year. And, you know, some of us are skeptical on the Jets, you know, and now they've had a tougher go over their last, you know, six, seven games. So but you look at the top those top teams, the Canucks and the Stars and the Avalanche, you know, okay, what what else do they have in their back pocket to be better? And what could Vegas do? Because let's say they have the cap space for the rest of the season and they know that they're going to be healthier for the playoffs. 
Like that to me would be scary. Can the Oilers finally, you know, kick their game? I don't want to say kick their game up a notch because that's not fair. They did that, but you know, make can they make uh, have a strong deadline for two straight years? Like I don't know. Based on their management, I would say probably not. But I think they were one of the biggest winners of the last deadline. I think that makes things scarier for teams like the Canucks, and it should make things scarier for the Avalanche, knowing the Canucks just got better, and for the Stars, like. There's a lot of really good teams there. So if they can keep up at this level and figure out, you know, whatever struggles they have, like the Kings haven't, like, you know, you want to see the Avalanche do in their next stretch, it's it's going to make for a really interesting playoff race in the West. And, I mean, I love that because I feel like as someone on the East Coast, like there, there is so much East Coast bias that I, I want to see the West be the more exciting one. Yeah, there's. Uh, it lo- it feels like seven teams in the West could could all make a run to the Stanley Cup final. Uh, Shana, we appreciate the time as always. Thanks so much for this today. Thanks for having me. There is uh, Shana Goldman of the Athletic and the Too Many Men podcast, which you can check out on your favorite podcatcher. And Shana joins us on the Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning Hotline. The first call, the only call. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. You know, that's something we keep sort of drilling home in our discussions. And as we have one eye towards the playoffs already, Sat, with the the position the Canucks are in. Mm-hmm. The strength in the Western Conference, it is seven teams deep, it feels like. That second wild card team is uh, very much a wild card in the equation, at least from our perspective. But, you know, if Dallas gets, say, a Chris Tanev at the deadline, how much stronger does that make them yeah. as a team? If Colorado adds something that really helps them in their middle six and lengthens them out a mm-hmm. little bit through their lineup. I mean, that's going to be the interesting part of the trade deadline sweepstakes now that the Canucks have made the first move. Yeah, and the quality of player doesn't seem to be super high. We were talking about Jake Gensel, but there's a good chance he's not going to be available. And if he's not available, does anything terrify you? Yes, I mean, Adam Henrique would help Colorado, I'm sure, would help Edmonton even. Doesn't terrify you? No. You're like, yeah, I mean, they're getting stronger, but... It's probably not going to swing a series. Jake, Jake Gensel could be a series swinging player. Yeah. And those are the things that, you know, concern you a little bit. Is Chris Tanev a linchpin defenseman for a team? He could be. I don't know if Colorado necessarily needs him. If they get him, it's more about really strengthening and fortifying something they're already very strong yeah. at. I, I think defense. the team we might be sleeping on is Dallas a little bit. Like if they, if if they, they get, get Chris Tanev, Tanev and then they have a really high yeah. end top four, now you're looking at a team that can be pretty tough to beat in the playoffs. Yeah. And all of a sudden your third pair becomes a lot better. Yeah. You know, and if you can have Lindell, Harley, Heiskinen, and Chris Tanev. Mm hmm. That's pretty good. Now you have Hawk and Paw and Suter on your on your third pair. You can it's live decent. with that. You yeah. can live with that. You know, and their forward group is really good. It's deep. Their goaltending is obviously good. Yeah. And if they add one more top four defenseman, like they're t- like to me, Dallas is a team that does not get talked about enough. Yeah. And they feel like a team that uh, you know maybe they don't have the star power that the Canucks uh, and and Oilers do, but maybe more uh, and, and even Vegas, but. And, and Colorado, but it's um, it's still a team that looks very deep and could be one big-time defenseman away from uh, having a really complete team, the yeah. Dallas Stars. Um, do you want to hit this real quick? 
We said we wouldn't at the top of the show. Well, we can do it here at the very end. It's okay. just it's it's a it's a judgment that has come down. <laughs> there is actual news. Yes, there's more actual than news. just like incessant discussions of the topic. All right, hit the breaking news. Sportsnet 650 breaking news. Wow, this is a new uh, new yeah. sounder. Both well, like, Dom and I were very <laughs> surprised. Is, when it should came I start on. dancing? It sounds like you know, di- it sounds a little disco almost, <laughs> right? I really we the breaking I, news sounder. I really hope we never have to break any like serious breaking news <laughs> and use this. It's like coming to you live from the disco set in the eighties, you know. Uh, well, the uh, NHL Player Safety Department has handed down a five-game suspension on Morgan Riley for cross-checking Ottawa's Ridley Gregg, uh, the official announcement coming down. So it is fewer than six games, which uh, an in-person hearing allowed NHL Player Safety to go to, but uh, they go five games instead of uh, six, despite the in-person, though virtual, hearing for Morgan Riley. So you're telling me there was not a conspiracy that was going to set, they were going to make a precedent-setting judgment here on Morgan Riley. He's going to get the book thrown at him, and yeah. they only do that because he's a Leaf, and Leafs always get uh, bad treatment by the player. Well, the I'm pretty department. sure like those within the Leafs organization still think this is pretty harsh. Probably, yeah, but it's five. It's on the lower end. Yeah. It's not six. And honestly, they have a three-game stretch on the road where they play Vegas, Colorado, and then come back home to play Vegas again. And they're going to have him for all those three games. Yeah. Like they're playing St. Louis, Philly, Anaheim, St. Louis, Arizona. They should be okay. They should. And if they're not, then hey, that's on you guys. Yeah. So, it, I mean, to, to me, looking at it and the fact you're getting him back for that Vegas game in Vegas, yeah. that's big. You, they should be pretty happy. Uh, so five games is the suspension for Morgan Riley. We talked about it yesterday. Five games seemed like the minimum uh, he would get from our perspective, given everything that happened. Um, and I think the NHL Player Safety Department got this one right, at the very least. A uh, minimum of five games was my estimation, and that's where they land on. So good luck to the Leafs, who are playing without Riley, Tavares, and Marner tonight against the St. Louis Blues. Godspeed. <laughs> no tears shed in this market. It's Stan Richo and Satyar Shah. Coming up, Irfan Gaffar is going to join us, our Canucks insider, for a little bit of a roundtable discussion next on Sports at 650. Dan Richo, Satyar Shah, hour number two of Canucks Central. We've got the pregame firing up in about a half hour's time. Canucks in Chicago today to close out their five-game road trip. Every Tuesday, we welcome in Canucks insider Irfan Gaffar to the program. So we go to the Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning hotline to welcome in our friend Irfan Gaffar in his uh, Sunday red gear, or it doesn't drop till May 1st, I guess, hey? Yeah, I'm not really... uh... I'm not really a fan. <laughs> Who knew Tiger Woods would leave Nike and the and the uh, new apparel brand would just not quite hit or slap the same way that the Nike brand did? Well, I think so. Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> it. But it's a beautiful sunny day outside. Go for a little jaunt, you know? Not no. all is lost in the world. Uh, you and Reach. Reach also went for a run today. Yeah. A little run on the seawall, but they like closed part of the seawall now. It's very frustrating. 
got to like make a detour oh, right to my, my, oh, my no, walk I, now. As, as I was about to tell people, right, right where almost where we live, but yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Not too far away, just a, maybe a stone's throw uh, from uh, from yeah. where we're at. Uh, it's uh, So the Canucks uh, closing out this this five-game road trip here in, uh, in Chicago tonight. And, you know, I know uh, you uh, mentioned on Twitter that we might see an all-Swedish line with uh, with Lindholm, Pedersen, and, and Hoaglander tonight. The, the, like, I'm not surprised to see more tinkering here from Rick Tockett. He's, he's essentially mentioned it in all of his availabilities. They're, they're still trying to find the right fit for Elias Lindholm. Yeah, and I think that that's exactly it, right? I mean, you have a guy that wants his 40-goal scorer in the National Hockey League, and you know he can put the puck in the net, and he plays with good players. It's just a matter of getting, in, getting into the game and then just kind of getting a fit. I mean, getting on the road and meeting the guys and you know, being at the All-Star game with all his teammates and obviously Rick Tockett being there was one thing, but you know, get, actually getting into games and getting some practice time and, and, and things of that nature is, uh, is something completely different. So I like the new look. I think that a lot of players on that team, I think JT Miller, I think Elias Pedersen, I think they want to play with a guy like Neil Koglander um, because he's so good on the puck. He's, a going, he's probably going to eclipse 20 goals uh, this season at, at some point here pretty quick. Um, but I just think that guys like playing with him. So you add another look for Elias Pettersson on that line. Um, two completely different players from Kuzmenko and Mikheyev, I'll tell you that much. And I bet you Elias Pettersson's pretty happy about that. But yeah, just a different look and, and to try and get them going a little bit. Well, you mentioned, you know, Pettersson playing with Lindholm. Do you, I mean, do you think what his preference would be, like Lindholm, do you think he'd be a better fit with JT or with Pettersson? Well... Uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I think that he's been comfortable in both situations. Um, I think with JT Miller, it, it's a little bit different, right? I think that, you know, Lindholm likes to shoot the puck, and, and so does JT Miller. I mean, you look at his shot attempts over the weekend and, and how many shots that guy puts towards the net. It's a lot. He shoots the puck a lot. Now is, he, now is Lindholm going to have more of a chance to shoot the puck with a guy like Elias Pedersen who maybe will pass a little bit more or, or maybe like that, but... Um, I, I'm not entirely sure on, on the preference. I, I think that both of them are good centers. And then once you get on the power play, you know, his job is just to get in front of the, not, in front of the net and tip bucks. Yeah, it's, um, you know, I, I think he's been okay defensively for the most part. But, you know, the Canucks, part of this deal was to bring in more offense, right? Like the top six, especially when they've gone up against some of the tougher teams around the league. You know, we saw it happen with Boston uh, earlier this year against Vegas and, and maybe even Colorado, you could make the argument. You know, when they've gone up against some other top teams, the, the top six is, uh, has been second best. It hasn't happened often, but, uh, you know, we only have a short sample size to go on. And I think that's ultimately where this, this front office is maybe even still looking to, to improve on this group. Yeah, I think in... A dream scenario you can add to your top six, but I think right now in reality, it's defensive depth, right? Yeah. Uh, I think it's guys that have some sort of experience, whether it's cup experience, whether it's you know going on a deep run, maybe not necessarily to the Stanley Cup, but it's maybe trying to find a guy that can add to it that has no problem being a 7-8 defenseman, but when they are called upon, he has no problem coming back into the lineup. I think that that's one of the things that they're looking for. Um, Right, I, I'm not entirely sure yeah. when you look at Susie here how much they know that they can trust him. Yet you just haven't seen him that much. And when you get into the playoffs, you know if he's going to get hurt or, or what, what's going to happen or things of that nature. So you know they, 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 the, the nice story is Jet Wu, but he's not going to be the answer in the playoffs. And if he is, I'll eat my words. But 
you, you know, I, I just think that they are definitely looking to improve um, on, on the defense first. And then a dream scenario is if you can add to the top six. Yeah, and I think, I mean, and I think they're in a situation here, Earth, where as much as they're pursuing these things, they're not going to outbid any teams. It's more about can we find value somewhere? Can we wait teams out and, and strike if, if a good deal comes available? They are going to do something, but it's about maybe waiting for the right time. Like, for instance, I'll throw a name by you, and I'm not reporting anything, just kind of giving an, an example. The Seattle Kraken are still in a playoff race. Yeah, kind of, right? They're still there. If they actually really fall out of it, they've lost three in a row, but let's say they lose a few more. A guy like Justin Schultz, if he's available, they're familiar with him, righty defenseman playing 16 minutes a game. Like he would kind of fit the bill of what you're describing here, Earth. Like a six, seven yeah. defenseman, can play the right side, can move up the lineup if you need be, has experience in the postseason, familiar with Tockett and this management team. Like that's the type of player I wonder if they strike on if they become available in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I think once Seattle, if they do, I mean, in the next couple of weeks, if Seattle falls out of this race that they're in, I mean, that's an interesting one, but what's it going to cost? And is the, is the cost for Schultz higher because you're in the division, hmm. right? Is it one of those things? I mean, I know that, you know, the, the, the quote-unquote fake rivalry that Vancouver and Seattle have, but I, 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 just, I just look at that and say, okay, well, I know Calgary obviously traded to the division twice, but mm-hmm. we'll, we'll, see, we'll see how it'll do the same. And that's an interesting one. Like Justin Schultz probably, now that you mentioned I wasn't even thinking about that name. Could be a name. I mean, obviously, a lot has to happen here in the next few weeks, but that's one that I would definitely keep an eye on. Wouldn't be like this front office to go over guys they're uh, go after guys they're familiar with. Well, would they, it? they've only done it on like ninety percent of their moves. <laughs> not yeah, like but, they... but like okay, so if you think about that more, yeah, like is it not is it not a good thing though? Like you know what you're getting out of the player. Yeah. Well, I think and, it, and you it, know the person, and you know the character, and you know what you're trying to build here, and obviously that person fits into it. It's a little bit different when you go and acquire maybe a Nikita Zadorov, where you yeah. don't really know what you're getting, but you have to go and try and have that experiment and see if it works. That's uh, I think the big thing is character for these guys, right? Like they they want to know yeah. what type of player that they're bringing in, especially with all the or how conscious they've been of upgrading the culture uh, here in in, in Vancouver mm-hmm. after what they uh, what they inherited and how. Um, how far it had to come for them to get uh, even to this point. So I know we've talked a lot about Nils Hoaglander in our in our weekly discussions, and it's it's pretty obvious that this player has won over quite a few people in the organization, right? From where he is now to where he was maybe a, a year ago even, or even at the start of this year where mm-hmm. it's even then it felt like there were some – very real questions about his long-term fit with the organization. It, it seems as though Hoaglander's won over the coaching staff and the front office at the same time. And his teammates. Yeah. His teammates love playing with him. Like, this person loves playing with him. JT yeah. Miller likes playing with him. Like, I think that and, – and that, and, that, and that goes a long way, too. Like, he's found a fit on this team. And mm-hmm. he, can, he can put the puck in the net. He's a different type of forward, right? He's not afraid to mix it up and get into those areas where other guys don't want to go. So for that reason, like, I mean, he's obviously a tough decision for management if you approach the deadline and, you know, he's a guy someone wants, right? But if you're looking to improve your team immensely and you're willing to part ways with someone, is he going to be a guy that, you know, it maybe could be an odd man out? Well, I'm not reporting again, but, like, mm-hmm. the Penguins wanted a guy like – or the Canucks wanted a guy like Jake Gensel from the Penguins. Neil Hoaglander is probably the guy going the other way. Yeah. Right. And, and obviously some other stuff. 
that's hypothetically make it work. We know the Edmonton Oilers are going to do everything they possibly can to try and acquire Gensel. I'm just saying that in a type of, in that type of deal, like that's probably the player to go in the other way. Well, a 22 year old um, with uh, that hasn't yeah. played a ton of minutes or isn't getting you know a ton of minutes is scoring a, is one of the best rate scorers in the league per minute basis. You know, that's the kind of trade chip that could have a lot of value if you wanted to make another big splash. But then how much has he done to earn the trust of his coaching staff and his management team yeah. in saying that we really need this guy, right? So that's the other conversation where they have to have. Well, I like guess if you're, if the, you're the, the thing I wanted to say is, sorry to cut you off, but it's just, uh, and I know, Sat, we've kind of talked about this, like in a perfect world, the front office would probably like Nils Hoaglander to be three or four inches taller. <laughs> you know, if you could have a little bit more size, it, yeah. it, this is, it's clearly a front office that is, you know, preferred size and some of the players that they have acquired, right? They talked about it when they acquired Sam Lafferty. They talked about it when they got Zadorov and wanting to build out a big defense. It's just, I, I wonder how much, you know, they just like and prefer the bigger players when it is available to them. Well, I think that when you look at it, like, you know what you're getting yourself into when you go into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. The physicality, the intensity, everything gets heightened immensely, right? When you enter the postseason, and you know you look at guys like Connor Garland, like Quinn Hughes is a smaller guy, obviously Hoaglander. You know, the, you probably want. I mean, you got obviously your average. You average out a lot because you got uh, Zadorov in a trade, but you know, is he playing that big physical brand of hockey, making it difficult for other teams to play against? He's obviously suspended for two games, but um, you know. I, I think that as much as size is going to be is something that, that they definitely want, I still think that, you know, it's, it's experience and it's character that's going to be one of the things that they lean on when they, when they try and make a move here. And I'd say one of the big things, too, just in general with Hoaglander as well, maybe before the season and at some point this year, he was viewed as, okay, he's very much a trade chip for us and we'll use it at some point here. It's probably become something where he's played well enough that his asset value has increased so much that you're not moving him unless you get a real difference-making piece. And the fact that he's on a $1.1 million contract next season, that means you have a nice cost-control player that could play in your top six if he continues to evolve. So I think it's one of those situations where maybe he does get moved at some point, but I think it's changed from maybe they get somebody that they like to they're only moving him if it's a difference-making player that's probably going to have a good chance of staying here. Like, I don't think they do it for a rental. I don't think they do it for a player who's maybe a slight upgrade. Like, he'd be a piece in, in a significant move. Yeah, no, I mean, you moved Kuzmenko and you gave up a first-round pick for, I mean, what could be a rental if Lindholm doesn't resign here. Um, and obviously, we'll have that discussion down the road uh, for sure. But yeah, I mean, look, difference makers, um, guys that have been there before, uh, top six talent, scoring wingers that can put the puck in the net. I mean, if he keeps, if Oaklander keeps putting the puck in the net and scoring over the next couple of weeks here and gets to 20, 20, 20, maybe 25 goals before the deadline, they're not trading him. Like, I think he's going to make himself too valuable. Right now, I almost think that he might be too valuable for them with the way that he's been playing. But it, right currently, as it stands, he's probably your best trade chip. Yeah, and uh, you know we know it's a, a prospect pool. The the athletic ranked the prospect pool at uh, number eighteen, which is up ten spots from a year ago, which is uh, kind of remarkable <laughs> that they were not, uh, 
not only bad a few years ago, but also had one of the worst prospect pools in the entire National Hockey League at the same time. That was a tough spot to be in, but uh, things are looking a little bit brighter around Vancouver uh, with the weather turning uh, as well. So, you know, as we continue to, to look through and see how this team is, is going to progress, the overarching question still remains around uh, Elias Pettersson. Uh, you know, our listeners, uh, after hearing the update we got with you last week, are curious to hear more on Elias Pettersson. Have there been uh, any developments on the contract front for Elias Pettersson? Nope, because it's quiet. Yeah. <laughs> no, one's, no one's saying anything. That doesn't mean that they're talking. or That could be good. That could be nothing. It could be a little bit of everything. No news is sometimes good news, right? right. So, look, uh, again, we're going to have this discussion until, you know, Penn gets put to paper or the season ends and, you know, the Canucks are riding off into the sunset or whatever happens. But mm-hmm. um, last week I said that if you think that they didn't speak at some point during the All-Star break, you know, you're, you're, you're definitely out to lunch a little bit, yeah. right? Um, whether that was contract negotiations or whatever, they definitely did speak. Now, since then, are they trying to do it quietly? Probably. Are they trying to have discussions, you know, in, in a range where nobody finds out and do things quietly? So Elias Pedersen obviously doesn't have to hear about it either because he's probably like, if you're talking, I don't want to know. Mm-hmm. And I think that one thing could be if they're going to continue to have a conversation and they want to do it quietly, it's Pedersen has either made up his mind and told his agents what he wants whether that's long-term, short-term, money, or whatever, and both sides kind of know something, right? I think yeah. that if, if they are continuing the conversation, if they're not talking at all and nobody knows, then that's totally fine. That's on EP40, and then they'll talk about it in the offseason. So that's kind of where I think it's at right now. I, I don't think it's going to, you know, we're not going to hear about anything, and that's probably the way that both sides want it. And for the most part, it's probably a good thing too. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm with you, and like we discussed uh, last week as well, that I believe they would love to get something done quietly, and if they can, I think that'd be great for all parties. The question is, can you do it quietly? The other thing that I wonder about is something Yannick Hansen brought up with us last week that hey, you, Pedersen's game has been good, but also inconsistent at times, and you know he's good moments. Some games he doesn't quite have it, and he said, well, you know, he he surely is thinking about his contract. How can you not? And he kind of wondered if he can get that pass, can get that figured out, then maybe his game can also kind of settle down a little bit. It's a pretty big thing, no matter how much he says he wants to wait to the offseason. It's a big thing in the back of your head. It could also be a situation where he's very much ready to get something done too, and to get this kind of distraction put aside. Could be, but the more that every time he's asked about it, it's in his agent's hands or he doesn't want to talk about it. Yeah, which, which is good, so honestly, I, because, yeah. like, you know, you don't want, to, want this to be this big, like, controversial discussion point all the time. No, absolutely. But it's good. I mean, like, like I said before, I mean, you get to a point where you're still going to have to answer a question about it. Yeah. And that's kind of why I think that, you know, they, they want to get this done, like you mentioned, if they can, quietly. I mean, look, it's... The Department of Player Safety is leaking Morgan Riley's five-game suspension before that comes out. Yeah, like leaks happen. It's part of the business, and that's from the NHL offices. So <laughs> you, sometimes you can't keep everything in house. Yeah, if you really, really want to, that's the business that we're just in, and you know it, things are going to happen and people are going to talk about it. And that's just that's just the way the world works, and that's just how we operate, right? We're going to find stuff out. You're going to find stuff out. Elliot Freeman's going to find stuff out. Like there's a lot of people that are going to find news out, not just on the Canucks, but on other things as well. So. That's just the business that we're in. But if they can do it quietly, I think they want to. 
but it's not going to be because other people aren't trying to find out what's going on. Before I let you go, I, I also think because they've been able to clear that five and a half million for Kuzmenko next season, that it makes it easier for them to plan even without Pedersen being figured out because they have so much cap space now. I mean, they already had a lot. Now they have even more. They can pick and choose who they want to keep pretty much, right? Do do you think there's a chance that they extend somebody here that's not Elias Pedersen um, at or near the trade deadline, whether that's a Teddy Bluger, whether that's a Dakota Joshua? Uh, we would have put Sam Lafferty into that discussion, but he's been healthy scratch now two games in a row, and we'll see if he even gets into the lineup here today. But do you think there's a chance they extend somebody else during the season? I think they might try and get guys at a hometown team-friendly deal if you can. Yeah. Right. And before they go to free agency, I think that's the only way you, you, you kind of do it. If you know you're going to get someone for below market value, but these guys are pretty smart now. Like the, like Dakota Joshua probably knows he can make a lot of money or, or more money than he's probably ever going to see after the season that he's having right now, if he goes to free agency, because someone will overpay for these players. That's just how it works. Um, are we thinking of their bigger fish? Maybe like uh, Philip Ronick and what's going to happen there. Like that, that's one that they have to take into consideration as well. Right, the Zadorov. I'm not entirely sure that they're going to extend him. I, I really don't know. We'll have to see how the way how the rest of this season goes. Um, and Lindholm, obviously, they said there's no rush to even get into contract talks, and I think that that one can definitely um, happen in the happen in the off season. So Mahomes is going to chase down Brady here over the next number of years, or what? Don't bet against Mahomes. What I tell you guys. <laughs> It's pretty wild that two years in a row we've been able to get Patrick freaking Mahomes as a Super Bowl underdog. Two seasons running. Uh, once against every, the Eagles and then once against the Niners. Every playoff game he was in this year, we was their, their team was an underdog. Yeah. And they had the second best defense in the league. Yeah. Like if the Chiefs won this year, theoretically, with the, the cap flexibility that they've got next year, maybe they don't pay Chris Jones. I don't know what's going to happen there. But like this was a year that you're – like the Chiefs weren't supposed to win, and they still won. So that just uh, the Patrick Mahomes legend grows. True, and as long as those 49ers fans are suffering, <laughs> nobody's uh, nobody's disagreeing with that here. That's for sure. Yeah, that was funny. Do they have more. a? Do they have like they have like a losing streak now in the Super Bowl? Like that's a bad stat. Yeah. They're like uh, they're they're like the Buffalo Bills almost. Almost, it's yeah, been quite. tough. I mean, but they, uh, but they actually make it to the game. <laughs> yes. Irf, <laughs> uh, you're the best. Thanks for this. All right, gentlemen, be well. Uh, there he is, Irfan Gafar, Canucks insider, joining us here on Canucks Central via the Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning Hotline. The first call, the only call here on Sportsnet 650, and. Some really good intel there from Earth, and uh, we're going to talk a lot about Nils Hoaglander and how he's played lately. But, you know, I don't... When we came into the season, Hoaglander, you know, going all the way back to our trip to Victoria to watch training camp, he gets a big spot in the top six, doesn't really flourish there and has to work his way up the lineup, work for everything he gets from Coach Rick Tockett, who seemed to be a little bit lukewarm on how much he could trust this player. And while he still has his defensive frailties and miscues here, Sat, like Nils Hoaglander has won over 
seemingly a lot of people within the organization with the way that he's played. Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, Sam texted it and said, are you guys trying to trade Hoaglander again? Just leave the kid alone. Uh, and Jeff Rose says, Hoaglander plays with an edge. Does not make up, does not, not, does that not make up for his lack of size, not to mention the production. And Tone says, doesn't Hogue play, uh, Hogue does not play small though. He's very hard to knock off the puck and great in board battles. It's more, honestly, the thinking, like his effort level, the battles and all that is fine. It's more about the IQ element and defensive awareness element, but he's clearing, cleaning up a lot of that. It wasn't always clean over the weekend, but for the most part he is. And the coach referred to him as a buzzsaw. And I, I think he only says that if he means it. And I think he's really turning heads right now. And at the very least, his form is so good that you don't want to remove this from your roster unless you really have to. And yeah. I don't know if they're going to be there. Off season, who knows Like what's going to happen with the entire team and the de- decisions they make. And we would talk about Pedersen. But the way he's fitting in, the way he's producing, the way he can move up and down your lineup, you don't take that lightly. Like no. he's, he's really done a great job for the team. He really has. And it, it's not about uh, necessarily trading Hoaglander. Um, yes, the word trade did come up in the conversation, but it's more to illustrate how he's gone from potential trade asset for this team to a guy that is more likely to stay with the team and has become a value piece for the team. And the one way that he gets traded, it's because you're bringing in something that's pretty good. Because you know you have a 22-year-old forward who scored 16 goals in limited minutes. Guess what the other GM is going to be asking for if you're calling for Jake Gensel or any one of those types of players that would be considered an impact player at the deadline. It's just the reality of what they're going to be asking for. But what Hoaglander has done is make that a far more difficult decision than I think the Canucks ever imagined. Yeah, and uh, really illustrates how good a season he is having for the Vancouver Canucks. More into the pregame. Canucks and Chicago Blackhawks. The pregame is next on the Sportsnet Radio Network.